Good evening. How's everybody? Good. Good. Right. Let's pray right quick. Father, we thank you for this evening. And Father, we acknowledge you as our hope, our help, and our healer. And we thank you, Father, for the opportunity to gather. We thank you, Father, for your saving grace on us, Father. I pray for clarity tonight. Ask, Father, that you guide me and that you watch over us uh, on this campus this evening. Protect us and guide us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're concluding our financial series. And and for me, when we started this, I, I think I mentioned it last week, that we thought it might be something about finances. And certainly it is. But for me, it's really become something more of a heart matter. And so if you would keep that in mind, we're, we will be this evening in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter, Luke chapter 12, primarily in verses 13 through 21. We are going to jump over a little bit in Luke into the next phase where Jesus has his famous talk on worry. So we'll be pulling some verses out of that. This will not be an exhaustive study of this parable but certainly we're going to fly over it and we're going to take a look at it. And then we will end, uh, the final verse that we will end with this evening will be in 1 Peter 2.9, but primarily we'll be in the book of Luke. This is again the parable of the rich fool, but I entitled the, the lesson tonight, The Sickness of Greed. It's not necessarily something that is... Uh, very popular that a lot of people don't talk about. Last week we talked about giving, uh, and so to contrast that, we're going to talk about the sickness of greed. There are three things that I want you to keep in mind that you can jot down, if you wish, that we will cover. And one of those is how to be aware of money blindness. In other words, what we can't see. Number two, understanding money sickness. And then three, we will acquire money wellness. So let's read the text, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who has made me judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced a plentiful, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who, has lays, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This narrative, really, that Jesus comes up with this parable, Jesus says, or a man comes to Jesus and says, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. Now, probably what this was, 
this was an older brother that had inherited an estate. And if you'll remember from Luke chapter 15, that the older brother always got two-thirds of the, of the estate. So it's very likely that this older brother was not sharing. And so the younger brother comes to Jesus and says, tell my brother to divide the estate. Now Jesus refuses, basically saying, who appointed me? Who appointed me as an arbiter? This is not my job. This is really not what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't have really that much time. And that's not what I've been appointed to do. In other words, again, it's not my job and it's not my mission. But Jesus certainly recognizes in this parable that this family is being torn apart or being divided by greed. This family is being torn apart by money centricity or a money sickness or even a materialistic heart. Now, it really doesn't matter whether the greed was in the older brother or the younger brother. That, that really doesn't matter. But what Jesus is cautioning us about here is he is warning us to be careful, to watch out regarding all types of greed. Now, to really understand this parable, you have to see that, that Jesus makes an assumption in this parable. And the assumption is often hidden from us, and it's something that we should be aware of. It's something that we should watch out for. In other words, greed is something that will deceive you. It will fool you. And Jesus indicates through his warning that blindness to the condition is intrinsic to the condition. In other words, we can't see our own sin. Greed hides from us. You know, it's, it's hard to nail down. It's always somebody else. That's why Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard, and he continues and says, or notice, be on, or, or notice that Jesus doesn't say in this parable, be on your guard against adultery. So why? Why doesn't Jesus say, be on your guard against adultery, yet he gives us this warning to be on guard against greed? It's because adultery, or is it because adultery is not as, destruct, as destructive as greed? Why do you think Jesus puts this warning out, be on guard against greed, but doesn't say be on guard against adultery? Here's the point. Almost always you know when you're committing adultery but you don't always know when you're committing greed. So that's why Jesus says, watch out. Watch out for the money sickness. Watch out for the money centricity. Said another way, nobody ever really thinks they're greedy. Most people don't think they're materialistic. But if you look at the book of Luke or you look at other, other points in the gospel in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, you'll see that Jesus speaks to money ten times to every one time that he speaks on sex. Because we don't easily recognize our sin, that's why Jesus says, watch out for it. Take care. Greed will always hide from you. You know, there's always greedy of people, there's always greedy people around you, but we never really think it's us. We mentioned last week that Abraham and Job had a lot of money. 
but they didn't have this sickness. They didn't have this money sickness. But you can have the money sickness and have very little money. Now, if you have a lot of money, that doesn't mean you're bad, or if you don't have a lot of money, that doesn't mean you're good or vice versa. But Jesus is calling out a money-centeredness or a money-centricity or greed. Now, everybody knows that greed is when money is too central to you. And certainly we know how to define greed, but the real question that I think we need to consider tonight is where do we draw the line? How do we know that we have come into this sin? How do we know that we're in that particular spot? How do we know that money is too important to us? So instead of a definition, what we really need are signs. How do we know that we've crossed the line of greed? If you're like me, you tend to draw the line of greed somewhere much further away from yourself than you probably should. We see other people and we say, well, I don't have as much as they do. Thus, I'm not near as money-driven as they are. We will always compare ourselves to someone else. The reason Jesus gives us this parable is, you know, sometimes ambition versus greed can trip us up. And if you look at a definition of ambition, just a quick definition is a strong desire to achieve something versus greed, an intense selfish desire for something. Both of the words contain the word desire. One is for selfishness. The other one is for a long-term goal or possibly for the greater good. So Jesus recognizes that potentially we have a problem here, that we have a sickness here. And so Jesus, in looking at this parable, gives us six signs that we can look at so that we can better see if money sickness infects us. Look in Luke chapter 12 and look in verse 19. This is going to be just a little bit expositional and at the same time a little bit topical, but look in verse 19. Look at the first signal that Jesus gives us by the rich young fool about greed. In other words, be aware of your money blindness. The rich young fool says, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, drink, be merry. What's he doing here? What's he doing here? You have ample goods laid up for money, or excuse me, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. What's he doing? He's gloating. That's exactly right. He's gloating. He's saying, look at me. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. This is going to be okay. I've got this under control. Excessive consumptionism, bigger barns, bigger houses, more cars. Wouldn't you say that's at least a sign of materialism and greed? Jesus also gives us another situational sign that we learn about our money-centeredness or money-centricity. And the next situation that we find is worry. 
Notice in Luke chapter 12, look in verse 29. This is where we're going to skip over just a little bit to Jesus' famous talk on worry. In verse 29, he says, And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. You worry when you have money, and you, or excuse me, you, you worry when you have money, and you worry when you don't have money. Jesus is saying if you worry about money, if you worry about your livelihood, if you worry about what you're going to eat, if you worry about what you're going to drink, then you're setting your heart. You're setting your heart on material things. So when you worry about something, you're setting your heart. So when do you not worry about something? Really, when do you not worry? Corey just said you're never supposed to. But in reality, when do you, when do you not worry? When you're gloating? So when do you worry? You worry when you don't have something, and you don't worry when you do have something. So in other words, you don't worry when you have money sometimes, and you do worry about it when you don't have it sometimes. And that's what this means here. Jesus is saying, be careful. In other words, it's possible to have money and not have the sickness, but it's also possible to have the sickness and not have any money. Jesus says, set your heart, or Jesus says, don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't set your heart on material things. Jesus says, don't worry about it. In other words, in looking at these two things, in gloating and worry, the important thing is that you don't worry or gloat whether you're prospering or whether you're not. Don't set your heart on it. Okay, let's look at two other signs. Look, look in verse 12, look in verse 15. These are two psychological signs. The first two that we just did, worry and gloating, are situational signs. The next two signs are psychological signs. And here's what I want you to see here, is I want you to understand what it means by money sickness. Look at verse 15. It says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. It says, take care, be on your guard against all types of covetousness. In other words, there's more than one kind of greed. This is why we tend to hide our greed or our money centricity because we notice all kinds of greed in other people, but we don't necessarily recognize that greed in ourselves. Look in verses, uh, look in Luke 12, chapter uh, 12, verses 22 through 27. Let's look at the two types of greed where he says, consider the ravens. In verse 24, consider the ravens, they neither reap nor sow. They have neither storehouses nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? He says, consider the ravens. They're secure, yet they, yet they don't have any money. In other words, God makes them secure. 
Then God says in verse 27, he says, Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So God secures and God arrays. You see in verse 19, the rich fool says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up. And deep in this man's heart, deep in this man's psyche, he's saying, I have control. I'm going to determine my future. I am secure. The world says no matter what, have lots of money. Yet if you struggle to give away money in radical proportions, you may have a money sickness or even a saving sickness. Now some people don't look at money as their security, but they look at it as their beauty. They're not like the ravens, they're like the lilies. Only God can make you secure, and only God can array you, or only God can make you beautiful. Only God secures you, and only God arrays you. Some people look at money as beauty. They array themselves with homes, cars. It's how they get their self-worth. It's part of their self-esteem. And when, and when you have a problem with beauty, then you have a spending sickness. I know at times in my own life, I've, if I wanted something, I just went and got it. I didn't ask Cindy about it. I didn't consult plurality on it. I didn't talk to a brother about it. I just decided I wanted to go get it, and I went and got it. Morris is chuckling. He knows sometimes I ask him, can I go do something sometimes? But that's the point is, is I just go get it because I have a spending sickness sometimes. I just go get things. One of the things that we need to do is we need to ask ourselves questions about our money. We need to pry ourselves with questions. How do we spend it? Do I really need that? And so whether you see yourself as a lily or you see yourself as a raven, sometimes we just see ourselves as we just deserve it or we just want it or we think we need it. Sometimes we may resemble a miser or maybe one that is self-indulgent. In both cases, there is a money sickness. It's a form of greed. Let's look at two practical signs right quick. Look in Luke 12, verse 20, verses 29 through 30. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. The first thing we do is we run after things. Entrepreneurs struggle with running after things. Pagans run after things. To overwork, to overthink, to work all the time with no rest suggests maybe you're driven by money. You're literally exhausted from chasing after it. 
to run yourself in the ground so that you can just buy more and spend more is a sign of money sickness. Juliet Shore wrote a book that makes the point. Um, the book is The Overspent American. And in the subtitle it says, Why We Want What We Don't Need. And she says in her book, Consumption is a social relationship, the dominant relationship in our society, one that makes it harder and harder for people to hold together, to create community. In other words, it's a, it's a threat to dependence on one another. It's a threat to our coexistence as a church. Because if, we, if we're greedy, then we're always out for ourselves. We're not looking out for one another. It's the exact opposite. It's the inverted relationship of relational generosity. It's not Acts 2.44. It's not looking towards others. It's looking towards yourself. So running after money is a practical sign of money sickness. Another practical sign is storing up. Instead of making money to give away, advancing the kingdom, we store up. Now don't, don't let this frighten you and don't get too bent out of shape right here. This is an easy point to take out of context. What you have to understand in this culture and in this time, people did not have money in the bank. Most people just had possessions. They had their land. They had their homes. They had their livestock. They had crops. And when Jesus says in Luke 12, 33, look with me there. In Luke 12, 33, he says, Jesus speaking, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. People didn't have savings. They didn't have investments. They didn't have Edward D. Jones. They didn't have Brennan Financial. They had coins, but they did, have, they did have an accumulated wealth, and that accumulated wealth was in their land. It was in their home, and it, and, it was in their, and it was in their livestock. It was what was on their balance sheet. But Jesus is saying here, I call you not to just give something out of your regular income or your currency, but I call you to be willing to dip into savings, to dip into your wealth. I call you to radically give, even if that means lowering your standard of living or lowering your net worth. That's something that we rarely do and something that we're rarely willing to do is to dip into our savings, to give, to meet the needs of maybe someone else, maybe a ministry, or maybe even a special need. Jesus calls us to be willing to dip into our savings, to dip into our capital, to give it away to friends, to give it away to ministry. And if you struggle with that, then maybe money is too important to you. 
So let's put these six things together real quick and let's see what does it take to acquire money wellness. If you worry about money and or you resent people who have it, or if you run off your feet trying to get it, or you can't give it away so radically that you aren't willing to dip into your savings or dip into your retirement and give at that level, you may have a money sickness. Either you're looking to money to be your security or you're looking to money to be your beauty. And you're looking to money for things that only God can give you. So when you see these signs, you begin to realize that that a lot of us have this problem. Remember Jesus' original warning that if you think you might have a problem, maybe you, have, maybe you think you have this much of a problem, but in reality, you may have this much of a problem. Because we always tend to draw the line, typically somewhere a lot further away from ourselves. So what do we need to do to acquire money wellness? Jesus gives us two things we have to get over the worry, the resentment, the anxiety, and or the running after it, and or the stinginess with your money. Number one, you need a radical experience of grace. The quickest biblical example I can give you of that is Zacchaeus. In Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus came down from the tree, was immediately transformed by the gospel. He basically says that he would give back and pay back many, many times what he had collected as a tax collector to those that he had wronged. He was immediately transformed by the gospel in his relationship with the Lord and how he viewed his money. The other is you need to be a participating member of a radically changed community. Radically changed community. In other words, you need to be in church. You need to be in a community of believers. Look at Luke chapter 12, look in verses 32 and 33. I want you to see the order of this verse. Luke chapter 12, verse 32 and 33, it says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Then he says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Now does... Does Jesus say if you sell your possessions and give to the poor that he will save you? That's not what he says. Read the verse in order. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell, excuse me, sell your possessions and give to the needy. If you sell your possessions and give to the poor, does that mean God will save you or God will let you into the kingdom? In other words, if you sell your possessions, will he forgive you of your sins? 
course the answer to that is no. It's exactly the opposite. And that's what I'm wanting you to see. God said, little flock, you have been given the kingdom. Only when you see you have been given the kingdom will you understand apart from your works, apart from your record, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've committed, only then will you be free to give, sell, and bless in radical ways. In verse 21, Jesus says it another way when he says, if you store up, we aren't rich towards God. It's a lack of inner wealth. And, and here's what this means. Look in 1 Peter 2.9. Look at 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, we are his treasure. Here is God who has everything. And we are his treasure. We are a chosen race, a holy nation. Christ on the cross sold everything for us. He liquidated everything for us, the poor. Why did he do that? To pay for our sins on the cross. You have to understand we've been treasured by Jesus, a holy God, he gave up everything for you. He paid everything. Only when you see, only when you see what God has done will you, only when you see what God has done for you will you truly begin to see that your money is just money. Right.
Right. Okay. Okay, Lindsay's proud of her man for driving a moped. Okay. <laughs> Right. What do you really need? Right. Right. So, so you see as being a good steward as a worship issue. I think Clay said something like that the other day. That oh, it's a Dave Ramsey quote. Okay, but. But but Clay said something the other night. Uh, he said, um, "Help me think here." Just if you don't spend it, it, it it's, it'll find it'll find a place to go. Yeah. yeah. Or if you didn't budget it or something yeah. that okay. Anybody else? Which is the something better that we talked about in Hebrews. Sure. Right. Right. Correct. It's the order. Lance, you were about to say something? Lance is talking about Ephesians 4.28. Go ahead, brother. Right. As a part of being in community. Right. 
right? The, right the, the whole point of the parable is about being rich towards God. I mean, you could sum up the whole parable if you did an exhaustive work on that is being rich towards God. Anybody else? Right, the Father has given us the kingdom. And so, if we really, really, really understand that, then why in the world would we not want to give? Exactly. You know, so it's, 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 it's really simple. But I think we, we try to make it, you know, uh, because we're, we're so unstable with everything that's going on, we can't even see the simpleness of it. Right. Are you suggesting that being a Christian and walking in worship, that giving is intrinsic to that condition as well? Yes. yes. Okay, good answer. <laughs> good answer. <laughs> good answer. <laughs> so that's part of the fruit, and it's part of the worship, and it's part of the order. Correct? Yeah. You agree, Clay? that get in the way, that take up the resources. Okay, good answer. Yes, sir. Because Christ is everything? Right. Because they want to be in control. Right. We're going to talk about that one second. We're almost there. Oh, yes. Oh, no, you're fine. This is actually very good. Can I say Oh, absolutely. Clay is back on the floor. Clay is back on the floor. Yes, sir. Brad preached which sermon? Seven Sensible Men. You talked about Crowley a while ago. Right. 
we didn't we didn't have that. We had friends, but you know, doing things now is different from when we did it because we can, uh, you know, we, we ask people, you know, what would you do in this situation? Uh, and, and I just think if, if that is not in your life, highly, highly, highly. So plurality in your life, seven sensible men. That speak into you. And then you just, you're able to go to them and say, hey, this is what we're thinking about. You know, selling a house or selling a car or going on this trip or whatever. I mean, if it's a big ticket item, I think it needs to. Is that Proverbs 27, Brad, or 6? It's, it's Proverbs 26, okay. Proverbs 26, if, if y'all missed that. Okay. All right, plurality is the point that that uh, Clay was making about our finances and our life and the order. Okay, just to recap the section we're in right quick. Um, what do we need to acquire money wellness? The first one was you need a radical experience of grace. We've had three testimonies of a radical experience of grace. And then you need to be a participating member of a radically changed community. And here in verse 32 and 33... Again, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And in verse 33, he says, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with treasures in heaven that does not fail. And what I'm wanting you to see here, he says, he says, don't be afraid. And, and what I think it was one of you just said something about being afraid this is hard for me. This is hard for Jeff Willingham in, in some areas. And it, and it may be hard for you as well. If you aren't willing to give, you probably are afraid. Okay? I'm afraid sometimes. In other words, you've got bills to pay, you have taxes to deal with, you have a payroll to meet. And if I give out of this particular situation, then am I going to have enough? That's what you lay down with. Kellen, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Are we going to meet this payroll this week? Are enough vehicles going to come through the shop so we can deal with the circumstances at hand? And so it's a point of fear. It's being afraid. And so if, you're, if you aren't willing to give, you probably are afraid. In other words, what about my problems? What about my taxes? What about my food? What about my children? What about my circumstances? We rarely give as radically as we should because we are afraid. The reason that I don't give more is because I am afraid. It is a lack of faith. It is exactly what we've been talking about all summer long in Hebrews, in faith. Sometimes we fail to recognize that the kingdom of God will meet our needs. Jesus has given us the kingdom. Basically, he says, seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, we went through some of that really fast, and I want to back up just one second, and I want... If you're taking notes, I want to back up to one thing here just a second. If you 
in the situational signs. The situational signs of money sickness are gloating and worry. The psychological signs is you're concerned about your security or you're concerned about your beauty. In other words, one is a saving sickness, one is a spending sickness. And then in the practical signs, it's running after money, and the other is storing up. And then the answer that Jesus gives us to acquire money wellness is the radical experience of grace and then being a participating member in a radically changed community of believers. Does that make sense? Okay. Anybody got anything they want to share or talk about briefly? Beauty is where, um, which category was that in? Right, gloating and worry. Uh, yes, right. Is there security? Is a saving sickness? Spending sickness. In other words, you array yourself. You need to buy things to make you feel better. You, would you like to borrow some money? Yes, 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 yes. We have a finance team for that, and we'll 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 get you in line. Yes, that's that's Mr. Letourneau's theory. That's absolutely correct. I'm just not there yet. Yes. The culprit in the parable seems to be abundance. Right. Right, that Brad is saying the enemy to your faith seems to be abundance based on the parable. And then I had said earlier that the parable's basic context was being rich towards God. In other words, we fail to be rich towards God. In other words, back to what Brad just said, is that we're depending on, on abundance, which is the enemy or the antagonist in the, in the parable. Right. And you can't relax what, Brad? Right. Yes, Morris. Right. Suspicion is directed towards abundance. Watch out, be on your guard. Okay. Right. In other words, it's, it's your personal marker that if you, if you don't have this much, then I can't give that. Probably. Probably. 
It is for me, okay? So y'all can confess later. Right. And I can remember there was a guy who owned a car dealership who realized that hey, every Christmas he would come and he would keep my name on that stuff box every Christmas. And it was a considerable sum. And we just felt like a lot of like that ability to be able to give that kind of money to somebody. Right. Right. And the Lord was so pleased with that and eventually replaced my income with income. And we were in a place that we could bless people monetarily mm-hmm. in a way that I was blessed as a child. I just never, since Peter. Right. How ever I could give to the other And so we were able to do that in different instances. And it was so sweet to see, see the blessing of the giving. But then, Yes. And the Lord completely removed that from us. Right. For about a two year period of very, very, very difficult two years um, on many levels. But it really was a way of good because the Lord reminded us that that money is not always guaranteed. No. Yes, I understand. You know what I'm saying? One year it's easy to get tired, the next year it's not easy to get yeah, tired. Yeah, that hurts, by the way. <laughs> yes, 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 that smarts just a little bit. Corey's, talk, Corey's talking about her heart and being on one end of receiving and then on the other end of giving. And I think that's something that um, I could share the same, the same testimony. I've, I can remember getting frozen food in the mail with a $20 bill attached to it after I got out of college. And I lived better in college than I did the first year I was out of school. And I was like, I was ready to go back to college because I was doing really good in college. And then I got my first job and it wasn't going real well. And my mother would literally mail stuff to me overnight or something. I don't remember how she did it, but I can remember coming home and there was this frozen spaghetti on the porch and it had been mailed or in the FedEx package or something, you know, and, and, and I would get home from work and there was a $20 bill attached to it. And there may have been, it may have been 40, but the, the FedEx guy may have got part of it. I don't know. But, but there was a $20 bill attached to it. And I'm just thinking, my gosh, I mean, here's some provision in that one room apartment in Irving, Texas. And I'm going, it's just me and God here. I mean, there is nobody here. I mean, it was, I mean, it was very disconcerting to have gone from, uh, you know, the community of being in a college to this job and 
$20. I mean, it was good heavens what we're going to do next. So, what else? Right. They, well, I shared something. Um, I shared something uh, with Brad in a text message. What maybe last night or the night before? You know, it's really easy to sit here and do a study and talk about this stuff. But tomorrow's coming, and it's. It's real easy to sit here and talk about it. It's another thing to go out and walk in it and believe in it and actually do it when the opportunity presents itself. It's a challenge for me. And so, I, you know, I, it's something that I'm still struggling with and have to evaluate and work on. I said it when the last time I preached, or maybe on a Wednesday, I can't remember. But you as a community of believers, you, you as a church are a very faithful people and you are very diligent in your giving and your in your responsiveness to God. And that is a huge blessing to be a part of a fellowship where people are so responsive and understand what the gospel really means in that context. That is a true blessing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time tonight. I thank you for the hearts that spoke out tonight that just shared their their testimony and their encouragement and even their struggle. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that you would watch over us and protect us as we go. Thank you, Father, for being our Lord, and thank you for loving us first. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.